Batman, the superhero, is tough, but so are all superheroes. What makes Batman so cool is the way he brings the bad guys to justice in style, wearing the cape and cowl and driving the Batmobile. Batman the Hanging Tree Cowdog and the rest of Jared Lewis Lee's kennel bring a similar mix of toughness and style to the stock dog world. Welcome to Farm Dog. This is Farm Dog, the podcast about the working dogs of farming, ranching, homesteading, and rural living. Farm Dog is presented by Goats on the Go, a national network of independent business owners who provide sustainable weed and brush control for their customers using goats. Want to put goats to work on your vegetation problem? Interested in launching your own goat grazing business? The place to start is goatsonthego.com. Welcome to Farm Dog. I'm your host, Aaron Steele, and I'm excited to have you in to listen today. Um, and I'm also excited to have Jared Lewis Lee as my guest for this episode to talk about hanging tree cow dogs. Just a couple of quick notes on that. Uh, this interview is full of really good, great information about uh, somewhat obscure but increasingly popular stock dog. Um, but unfortunately, we had a little trouble with our sound quality. I just uh, ask for your patience. It's too good of an episode not to listen to, so bear with me. It does get better as we progress through this particular episode. Also, I'd encourage you to listen all the way through to the very end. Uh, Jared texted me right after we got done recording and said, oh yeah, I've got something else I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad he did because it's another important bit of information that I think you'll find interesting. So once again, welcome to Farm Dog and on with the interview. Jared, welcome. And could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and how you came to be working with uh, stock dogs in general? Yes, sir. I'm a fifth-generation Florida Cracker Cowboy, um, and my family always used, grew up using black mouth to her dogs. In 2013, I took a job running a stalker operation out in Mississippi, and I was having to handle a bunch of yearlings and small traps. And anyhow, the cur dogs would just kind of make a mess of things. And I started off with I got me a border collie pup. And he was really special and really changed my whole outlook on how a dog should handle and approach stock. And after that, I decided to try me a hanging tree cow dog. And the first pup I had was a dog named Roscoe B. Coltrane. He's the son of Mudcat. And, uh, man, after Roscoe, I just I couldn't go any other way because I found a breed of dogs that just fit, I mean, just the most versatile you know, could do anything from hunt to gather to fetch to drive. I sort cattle with them. Um, and so in 2013, I, I began, started collecting them, and now i got a huge collection of them. <laughs> what attracted to you, you to the breed initially, and where did you go to find your first hanging tree cow dog? I was actually riding a horse a colt for a man out of Georgia, Gary Jacobs. And Gary had a litter of puppies. That he had a daughter of Trader Scar named uh, Jacobs May, and he had bred her to Jimmy Tillman's mudcat dog. And, um, he offered me a pup for the training on the horse, and I agreed to do it. I was a little nervous. I'd never put so much money into a pup before. Anyhow, when I told my wife, she kind of got hot on me about it. 
like, oh, this is terrible. Why didn't you just take the money? What are you going to do with a dog that costs that much money? Well, anyhow, I ended up raising that pup up till he was about eight months old, and somebody come by and give me about five grand for him at eight months old. And my wife was like, wow, maybe we should keep on doing this. And so... From from that day forth, she was behind my dog ventures. <laughs> I see. So when he offered you that pup for the work you were doing, uh, ha- had you had any experience with hanging tree cow dogs? Did you see his dogs working? Were you impressed by them, or were you just like, well, sure, let's let's make a swap and see how it goes? When I was in my teens, around 15 years old, Charlie Trayer came down to Florida. And they had a cow dog competition, and it was Charlie Trayer and his hanging tree cow dogs against Florida Crackers and the Cur Dogs. My daddy was one of them, and he's a heck of a Cur Dog man. Um, anyhow, Charlie come in there and just blew the competition away. And when I when I seen him and his dogs, I just always looked up to Mr. Charlie and thought to myself, man, one day I want to have dogs as good as that. Because, I mean, he was just able to put them where he wanted to. It was, it was like poetry in motion watching that man. And so when Gary gave me the opportunity to get the pup, I, I was like, man, this, this is going to open a lot of doors for me. And, I mean, me and this pup just hit it off right off the bat. Um, I raised him like I did my cur dog pups, but we just had a lot more handle and finesse. And I was just able to do it. I could take him and go do what it take me to do with three or four cur dogs. And like I say, from there I was hooked because I loved the border collies, but they just, I couldn't find none that could consistently hunt the woods. And down here where I'm at, we deal with a lot of swamps and woods. If you ain't got a dog with a nose that'll trail and wind and, you know, be able to hunt and find cattle, then you ain't going to get your job done a lot of times. And that would be the strength of the cur dogs, correct? Yeah. Doing correct. the search. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got lots of questions to about the breed, and I, I want to dig deeply on that. But I feel like there's something we got to take care of first, and that is um, your celebrity. Uh, you you were on season one of <laughs> the Ultimate yeah. Cowboy Showdown on INSP, a television network, and. I think I think we ought to just talk about that briefly and tell us what that show is all about and what that that experience was like. Man, I'm gonna tell you that show changed my life um, in in a lot of ways, but it it changed my life for the good. Uh, you know, they took 12 cowboys from across the country and cowgirls. They put us all together and we had to mingle amongst each other and put up with each other. Uh, man, they gave us different challenges, you know, group challenges and things, challenges. And, um, it was really, I mean, just really a cool experience. And I really felt, uh, I didn't feel, just feel then, but I feel now and I know now I could have won that deal. Um, I got molested on the third episode, which was about halfway through filming by oh, as I went to grab the tag off of his head and a in one of the cowboy challenges, and anyhow, that I never had a broken bone in my whole body, but I broke my fibula in my fibula that day, and now I got a steel rod in my leg, and I was eliminated by default. 
Um, oh, no. It was, it, you know, I was the same person on that TV show as I was off of it. Um, I'm always going to be the same man. I'm a God-fearing Christian. I'm a family man, hard work. And then, then I got a lot of morals that were instilled in me. You know, how you talk in front of ladies children and just you know being good honest person helping people that need help and I mean I got in a fight on that show and it was over morals you know um, using the Lord's name in vain and stuff like that and I just I didn't change who I was for that TV show and if my the way I am was going to cost me winning $50,000 it was just going to cost me but you know, I had a I had a terrific time, and season two, they come back, and they did a real great job on it. They're actually fixing it, I think, in about two weeks. Uh, season three comes out April 21st, I think, and I'm really jealous that I didn't get on that one because it's up in the mountains in the snow, and that would have been out of my element. And Man, I would have want, you know, I want I want to be in the mountains in the snow. When I, if, if I get to go back, they told me they was going to bring me back because they they follow through with it. I hope they bring me back in a spot that's out of my element. You know, I want to be challenged. Yeah, that's really cool. I was going to ask you, you know, you alluded to this a little bit already, but I was going to ask you, like, how much of it is uh, is real cowboy tests? Like, did you feel like the tests actually uh, were did an effective job of challenging a cowboy and assessing how good a cowboy you were or how much of it was just set up and made for good TV? Um, did, did you feel like it was fairly realistic? Uh, you know, season one, I didn't, I didn't feel like our challenges was as much of the ranching type challenges as what I would have, what I seen come out in season two, you know, okay. uh, grabbing a, ta- grabbing a tag off of a bull's head, not something you're going to do in <laughs> ranching, you know what I mean? You're going to put him in the, right. in a shoot and cut the tag out of his ear. Um, but, you know, it, it was all real. I mean, we it, it was real as it gets. I mean, they, they cut and edits just like anything else. But what you've what you seen, and I'm not saying there weren't some little bit of birds tweeting in your ear, amping up situations for you at times, but it, right. was, it was real. Emotions, emotions was real. I mean, everything about it from the hits from the bull from the head to the fist it was all real <laughs> well it was real enough to break your leg that's for sure and that's plenty real for me yes yes sir <laughs> so you would do it again if you got the chance yes sir yes sir as long as it didn't put my family out you know last last time when they called me in I, it happened to be i sold a dog for a big chunk of money and i was able to afford to take off a month which ended up ended up me taking off like three months to recover from the broken leg but right. we uh we by the grace of god we got <laughs> i would definitely go back okay that's great um so let's get back to the dogs a little bit i appreciate that well i should ask you is there any dog work in the show or was there any dog work in season two um is that do you or do you think that should be a component of the the next challenge? 
I definitely think it should be. It's not. Because for me, you know, when you're looking for the best cowboy in the country, you're not just looking for a man that can handle a rope or ride a fucking horse. You're looking for a man that can spot a sick cow, that can handle a dog, can train a colt. I mean, you're looking for the, you know, all-around cowboy. And I, I feel like, you know, they're leaving out, you know, a little bit of the in there really know what they're great for. And I think... I definitely think that it should have something to do with dogmanship and horsemanship, dogmanship. I think it should be a, a combined deal. So they didn't put none of it in there. And I tried my hardest to bring my Batman dog with me when I went. And they, they wouldn't let me take him because I could have pinned the whole set of cattle with just the dog and never had to move from my horse, you know. Right. They had 12 of, they had like 12 of us out there running around like wild Indians. <laughs> well, it doesn't make for good TV, I suppose, to have you do it really easily with a dog. Right, yes, sir. <laughs> All right, well, ba back to Hanging Tree Cow Dogs. Can you just give us a little bit of history? And again, you know, we'll probably do an episode in the future that really dials in on the history of the breed and how it came to be. But just for our audience who happens to be listening today, can you just give us a little bit of background about the breed and and what appealed to you about it? Well, it started with a man named Gary Erickson, which I was very fortunate to get to spend a little time with. Um, Gary really, he put the breed together. And from what I understand, they was somewhere around 116 puppies, and they kept like four particular start breeds, something like that. I don't know if that's exactly true, but it's somewhere around there. Me and him talked. I don't know, probably four years back, and he was telling me about, you know, how he started the breed and how he, he'd went all over the country, you know, demonstrating them dogs and trying them dogs and making sure that they were able to be the versatile all-around cow dog, the ultimate cow dog, he called it, you know. And I'm telling you, I know that this breed is a little inconsistent in different places. There's... You know, there's four different breeds in there. There's Border Collie, Australian Shepherd, and Catahoo. And, you know, over the years, people have tried to really cull out and make the kind of dogs they want out of them. And for me, where I'm at, I was looking to make a Border Collie that could hunt. That's what I wanted. So mm. the genetics and the traits that I chased for over on my end, because I want a dog with a lot of eyes, strong bite, but a great nose. And I don't want a lot of bark in my dog. Uh, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's a great breed. That's what I do now. Right. And just to clarify for our audience, when you say you want a dog with a lot of hunt in it, um, you're, you're not talking about hunt like go hunt wild animals like it's a crossover breed. You're talking about being able to search large pasture, out of sight, um, scrub and cover and that sort of thing for lost stock or stock that's separated from the rest of the herd. Is that correct? Yes, sir. But I mean, you know, with, with a good nose comes that option. If we got some clients of ours that use theirs to trail their deer whenever they shoot a deer and they got a blood trail and they've been using them for years. We got some people that use them for all guns too. 
uh, just we want them used for cow dogs, you know. But when somebody takes the dog, it's theirs to use for what they want to use it for. But it just makes it that much more versatile, you know. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think that's one of the um, kind of the side issues about stock dogs that I find really interesting is that, you know, they're exhibiting a lot of hunting ability and a lot of hunting instinct when they herd. Um, and I, I love the idea of a multi-purpose farm dog, you know, that serves, um, just helps you be successful living off the land, both in managing your livestock, but also in, uh, you know, bringing home some food once in a while. I think that's, that's a really cool crossover ability. Yeah, sir. My daddy used cur dogs like that when we was little. I killed my first deer. That was how we found him with my daddy. He, he left me to get school for a day, and we we went to the woods horseback with the cur dogs, and he put some cur dogs on that blood trail. And, you know, so I, I guess being raised a cur dog family, you know, I, I still hunt they, some of them traits that I hope I get to keep in these hanging trees. Yeah, that's really cool. And the, the Catahoula has some of that reputation, too, as being, you know, almost as much of a, um, a, a hunting dog as it is a stock dog in its history. Yes, sir. Yeah, and Catahoula, of course, being in the mix in the hanging tree cow dog. Um, you mentioned that... Uh, when you, you were doing some work for somebody on, on a ranch and you found that the cur dogs being used to there were used at that place were kind of just making a mess of things. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So it was, the place was a thousand acres. Traps broke up into about 20 acre traps on average. You'd have anywhere from 100 to 200 head in a trap. And when you send a cur dog, they go and they want to run and circle everything up in space. But a lot of times they don't they don't got no natural give or fade off the stock. So they'll run in their tight and it causes the cattle to run. But if you ain't in a several hundred acre pasture, they're gonna go to fence. So what ends up happening or what ended up happening was them cur dogs would go to run to bay them. And by the time they'd hit one end of them they'd be running to the other side of the pasture and end up tearing through your fences or running across swimming across the pond on you. There just wasn't enough room to be able to use cur dogs in that kind of situation. You gotta have a you gotta have a pretty big open area to bay up instead of unbroken yearlings with the cur dogs. Mm. Okay, sure. That makes sense. And you know that that bang type of stock dog is fascinating to me. Um you know, because it's, it's a pretty specific application, like for a particular type of landscape and a, a particular type of, of um, uh, just particular type of situation. And uh, I was surprised to learn when I was reading about the hanging tree cow dog, I expected it to be a lot like that, more of a bang type of dog and a very pushing, driving type dog where that was kind of the the natural place it fell into as, as a as a driving dog but i was surprised to read that it actually has a lot of fetchiness and gathering instinct to it much more like a border collie is, is that been your experience well it, it depends on where you're shopping you know, where you're going for your hanging tree um that's 
I bred more for the border collie with the eye and the fetch. But there's some uh, there's some people that breed for that bite and that bay, and they want them dogs, you know, to be real rough and strong. And so you might get a you might get a set of hanging trees from one stock, and it be more border collie type. You know, if somebody's not just managing their breeding program. But like even with my dogs, that got a lot of eye and really have them border collie traits strong. I still don't take the circle out my dogs because when I go. You know, I don't want them running around bay, and I, I, I cold and bark the dog. But I want a dog to go out there, and when I send him to a, in a big pasture to a set of cattle, I want to be able to send him and that dog go take and gather everything into one spot and hold him. And, you know, circle and circle until I get there and give him a get-back command or a down command. Because when you're catching these cattle down here with all this, not like up north and out west where it's just lots of open land. These cattle will beat you to the brush, then they'll beat you to the swamp. And the woods are just, I mean, a lot of these places are so thick, you got to get off your horse and crawl for spots. I mean, it's tough on your dogs, and if them cattle beat you like that, you know, you can't just fetch them to you to you teach them how to stop their feet first, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, when you say down here, um, you, you're you in Mississippi. What part of Mississippi are you in? I'm down in Picayune, Mississippi, which is like the southwest corner of Mississippi. But I work cattle all the way across down into Florida, down to Kissimmee, Florida. Um, and part of my business and what I do is I go around dog raising cattle to people too. And the first thing I want a dog to beat them cattle is to go group together and stand still. Because if you can't stop their feet, you got a couple, you got a big set of cattle, they'll tear through anything. It's like a herd of buffalo. There ain't a fence high enough or strong enough that'll stop them if they get running hard enough, you know. Right, right. While we're on that topic, you mentioned that you do dog breaking, or, or I mean, yeah, dog breaking of stock for other people. Um, I'm wondering, the question has come up in my brain and, and some other people I've been talking to, you know, that I, it's been recommended to me that I should have my stock dog broken before I get my first stock dog. And um, I'm, I'm wondering, though, how well does that translate to somebody else's dog? So you go in there with your experienced dogs, the the best ones you have. They're plenty strong and tough, and you, you spend some time with that stock. But as soon as you leave, is the owner of that stock and his dog or her dog going to be back to the same situation where the cattle will read that dog as not being as strong and not being as experienced and start taking advantage of it again? I mean, if you got a weak dog, you got gonna have trouble regardless of them cattle even training stock lean on a weak one um <clears throat> but as far as when i get done breaking cattle for somebody like usually i'll go for depending on the number of head and the number of places i have to go for people so I, i'll go for three to five days a lot of times so that's what we'll do the first day we'll just go out there we'll gather their stock we'll teach them how to stand still 
When them cattle stand still, we'll release all the pressure by lying our dogs, and we'll leave them sitting in the middle of a pasture. And a lot of times, when we pull off of them cattle, you can come back 10, 15 minutes later, and they still haven't left the center of the pasture. Mm. So the second time when you go to group, as soon as they see them dogs, if you've done it right, the cattle go together. They just start grouping themselves. And once once you go to them, you got their feet standing still, then you start teaching the cattle how to fetch to you by making your dog stand on, on the back side of the flock. And to become a magnet, you start to, whether you're on a horse or side by side, you start to back up and ride away from where they're putting that pressure. Usually by the third word, I'll have them looking like I got them on a string. Um, and, you know, we'll usually get a good six to eight works in on stock while we're there dog breaking. And, man, I'm going to say probably 95% or better of the folks I dog break cattle for. I've never, never had to go back. You know, they didn't need me no more. I see. They, they went on with their dog and handled their business. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, tell us a little bit more about, you know, you already mentioned that um, in the hanging tree breed that there is quite a bit of variability and you go to one breeder and he or she's been breeding for this for a little while. So that dog kind of behaves a little bit different. You breed for something else for quite a few years and you're going to take on some different characteristics. But what's your favorite thing to see? What are the traits you want to see in, a, in the dogs you produce? Um, what's, what's their working style? What's their demeanor and temperament like? What's what's your favorite style of dog? Man, for me, I like a I like a fat, crazy, jump up and down, can't stand to sit still type dog. You know, as a puppy, <laughs> I want that sucker's energy level just to be ridiculously stupid and almost uncontrollable at times. But I want to I wanna see him, you know, when I see that puppy go to stock, the first time I see him, I want to see that dog thinking, you know. And that's the biggest thing. And I don't care if he runs in there and bites. I don't care if he chases. I want to see him, you know, I want to see that dog stop, pause, look, and think about what's going on. And so I like a dog to get real low in the front end. I want him to almost crawl like you see a cheetah. You know, um, and I want them to read and talk. You know, that's that's my deal. I, I want them to be, you know, to have a lot of style and eye confidence when they move the stock. You know, that's big for me. Um, I don't want a dog that stands up square. I like a dog to get real low in the front end. It's just not saying it does anything better for the actual stock or whatever, but. I I love watching them dogs when they start creeping and crawling around and get on their belly. It reminds me, it reminds me of a good cutting horse, you know. Right. Yeah. So there's there's some style points there for you. It's not all function. There's some some of it you just like the way it looks. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And I like pricky. I like them pricks twenty years. I I don't like because them hanging trees. With the Catahoula in there, they'll throw, throw flop ear dogs too. And for me, I like I like prick ear dogs. I'm a blue Merle man, but you can't breed Merle Merle. 
but I, I don't I don't know. Every dog I keep for myself is a blue merle prick year dog. <laughs> so uh, on that note of the you know what the dog looks like, the just the physical traits. Um, I noticed in your videos on your Facebook page that all your dogs have stumpy tails too. Is that uh, does that ever happen naturally, or do you dock the tails of all your dogs? I have had a few natural bobtails born, but not very often. I think we've had two since I started pulling with them that was born natural bobtails. But no, it's actually um, a rule for registering your dog. You know, one thing that I love about the Hanging Tree Association and the breed is that you know they got they got rules and they got. Guidelines, I don't know. They got, you have, the dog has to prove itself to be able to register. Mm. You know, you can't just say, well, this dog come from good stock and his mom and dad was registered, so he gets registered. If he's not strong and willing to bite head and heel, and then you got to get him DNA now, I mean, they're really, they really try to do right by the breed, you know. They're trying to make it to where the breed just keeps getting better. I think that's excellent, and that's something you don't see in breed clubs very much anymore. Um, you, well, not even anymore. I don't. I don't know that it's ever been a popular thing. Um, I've I've bought a bird dog before that I went to kind of an obscure registry to buy it because its parents had to be hunt tested before that puppy could be registered, and uh, I think that's really interesting to see. Also, the the um, the breed club, the name of which I forget. What is it? The Hang Hanging Tree Cow Dog Association, Jared? Yes, yes, sir. Okay, the association on their websites uh, are are careful to point out that you know just you can't just take the original recipe of these crosses of breeds that Gary Erickson used and go out and produce your own. That in order to, for that dog to be registered, it has to be traced back to Gary Erickson's original. Uh, foundation stock um, so I I Aaron Steele in Iowa can't go out and find a, a one Australian Shepherd and a Kelpie and some Catahoulas and some Border Collies and create my own hanging tree cow dogs uh, I, I wouldn't be able to call them that and I wouldn't be able to have them registered right yes or no and that you know we you'll see you'll see it advertised sometimes and it's it, it drives me crazy. They'll be like somebody have a blue healer and a cur dog, and they'll breed them, and they'll sell the puppies as hanging tree cow dogs. And I'm like, what are you doing? But no, you got to you got to go back to Gary Erickson, and the, both parents got to be permanently registered, and they got to be DNA verified to be able to have appendix papered on your puppies. Which appendix paper means that the dog has the bloodlines to make a registered dog. You see what I'm saying? Right. But they haven't pr been, they haven't proven themselves yet, um, you know, through actual video or photo evidence that they have that working ability. That's right. Yes, sir. And, you know, once they prove themselves, they'll become what's called permanent registered. Well, then there's another step out there where they put on this deal once a year at the Hanging Tree Futurity where. You can go take your dog to become Supreme Hanging Tree Register. And Supreme is the best of the best. It's a blind fetch. And they got to run these, they got to take cattle through a course flawless. I 
mean, I I don't know that they maybe 20 of them in the whole world supreme registered. You know, it's not it's not a very very high number of my Batman dog. He's supreme registered. Um, we're going to try to supreme about five of them this year. Um, we got oh man, I got the best young dogs I've ever had in my life for this year. This is going to be a great year. Going back to that variability that you mentioned in the breed, you know, that one breeder is going to produce a different style of dog than another, you, and, and they're both registered as hanging tree cowed dogs. Do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing um, to have that variability? Or if you could just wave your magic wand, would you want a more consistent style of dog um, that somebody could just watch and say, yep, I believe that's a hanging cowed dog? or hanging tree cow dog because of the way it, it works? Well, look, I think whoever's breeding probably believes their way is the right way, and I believe <laughs> right. my way is the best way. Like, I mean, and and I feel like it, it's, it, I show up to these border collie trials and I'm competing with the best in the world. And, I mean, I'm not getting blowed out. I mean, I'm, taking, I'm dog breaking cattle on a Monday and showing up uh, – showing up to hanging tree uh, to a quarter collie trial, you know, three days later and running neck and neck, winning checks. I mean, I've won over $5,000 in just three years of trialing, which it's not a lot of money, but it, it's pretty good for not being a trial man. You know? um, but what, what it's done, the quarter collie guys, and, you know, you're changing my view on these hanging tree cow dogs and, Anyhow, I, I partnered up with a man down here in Louisiana named Gary Sullivan with Red Stick Cow Dogs, and he's the number one hanging tree cow dog breeder in the world. And we're, our program is putting out these kind of border collie-style dogs, and we're, I mean, we're flat doing it. But, yeah, we wish we, wish we could make everybody get on our page, but, you know, each is their own because some folks some folks want a bulldog to work their cows with and some folks don't yep yep well hey i'm gonna i'm gonna bear with me for a second i'm gonna run an analogy by you um that comes from the gun dog world which is you know i'm kind of a novice to the stock dog world and i got a little experience in the gun dog world and when i watch your videos i and, and how well those dogs move. They are sturdy built dogs, but they can change direction like crazy. And you, you wouldn't guess that they're that athletic um, looking at their build. And it reminds me of seeing a, a Labrador retriever playing around with like a, a pointer, some really sleek, fast dog, a uh, hunting dog. And, um, you know, that, that pointer can chase that, la chase that Labrador down in a straight line 10 times out of 10. But as soon as that Labrador retriever decides to drop its button and put the brakes on, it's just no contest. You know, the, the pointer just keeps flying past. And that's what I'm reminded of when I see your dogs working. It's like, they don't look as athletic or as fast as a border collie, but look at that, you know, look at how it just slammed on the brakes and changed direction. And that that's really something to watch. Is is that something you breed for particularly? Well, that's me and Gary Sullivan been calling this 
the next generation of hanging tree cow dogs. And it is something we're breeding for. It's something that's coming back from my bat, my Batman dog. His sister's name was Midnight, and we bred her to Cinch this year. Well, it would have been almost two years ago. The dogs will be two this coming September. <clears throat> and that was the – I'm not saying we ain't seen other dogs do it, you know, what we're seeing here. But we haven't seen as consistent of it as what we're seeing here. These dogs are grabbing, I mean, they look like a reining horse stopping and turning over their hocks like a cutting horse. And we just, we think we think it's got a little bit to do with our training methods and, mm-hmm. and a little bit to do with the breeding program. But yeah, that's what we're, we're looking for and trying to spot it in them puppies young when we're watching them play, just like you were talking about, you know, when, when they're out there running hard, that pup that can stop and turn back through itself. You know, we're looking for that in these young dogs. And is that mostly a style thing that you, you just like aesthetically, or is, does it have a function for you when you're actually uh, working stock? I mean, does that is that dog going to perform better because it has that ability? Well, I mean, I, 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 fit, I always said, you know, slow is always fast when it comes to handling stock. But I'll, also, if you can be... If you can have finesse and speed and control all together, you know, mm-hmm. with the brand, you know, if you have a dog that can cover ground like these things are doing, stop like they're doing, I know it's going to be more beneficial. And not so much when you're pinning a big set of cattle, but say when you're sorting, you need a dog to be able to get from point A to point B fast. You know what I mean? It can't be dragging along. It can't be a big, long turnaround or, or a pouncy bark you know that sucker's got this roll back to cover his ground no different than whatever if we were sorting horseback you know a better handle on that horse is going to make you better help in the pins mm-hmm. okay this may seem like a dumb question i mean cow dog is in the the breed's name for goodness sake but i see you working sheep um in training sessions a lot would you recommend a hanging tree cow dog for sheep and goats? Or is it too powerful? Too much bite? It just, it just depends on the handler and the training of the dog. You know, um, I handle ducks, pigs, sheep. I've even handled a baby deer one mine. Hmm. Um, and my, do- my dogs will do it, and they'll be honest on the sheep. They won't bite on them. I mean, but it's it's taking a lot of time to get them there. So I mean, it, I I'm not afraid to sell them to, as a sheepdog to somebody, but the handler would have to come come learn how to handle them. I mean, you know, a border collie is probably your best bet for a sheepdog, to be honest with you, because a lot of times them border collies would get back there and they're not really worried about biting on nothing, you know, right. and a lot of lot of folks that own animals you know what i can do with a dog doesn't mean that john over there can do with a dog i mean it's i'm a professional you know it's what i do for a living and so i don't know that's i think for the right for the right person the right fit somebody that's willing to put in the footwork become a great handler i i would recommend it but if you're not 
if you're not looking to bust your butt and learn how to be a great cow dog handler, then I would recommend them for a sheep mm -hmm. or goat dog. Okay. All right. So there's a difference between possible and even likely and what is actually a, a natural fit. And maybe the hanging tree cow dog's not the most natural feet, fit for sheep, but if, if you know your chops and if you work at it, um, you can definitely make it work. That, yes, sir. That's, that's perfectly said. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, not, it's not natural for it. You know, he bred them to be cow dogs, rough, tough, with plenty of bite. But on the other hand, like I say, I want brains and herding in mine, so I really try to sharpen that part of it. All right. Well, Jared, you've you've been training dogs for how long now? Well, I've been training these herding dogs since 2013. And um, I trained. Sorry, go ahead. I trained. I tra I trained and handled cur dogs for people up until 2013, but I didn't get into the herding dog part of it till 2013. So, looking at nine years. Okay. So you've uh, had lots of dogs. You've watched lots of dogs. You've probably always had dogs around the ranch, even before you were seriously training stock dogs. Um, do you have a favorite in your history? Or um, if not a particularly a, a favorite dog, a favorite individual, do you have a favorite story about a dog on your place? Man, my favorite dog is Batman. Batman, uh, he he's my Blue Merle stud dog. Um, I'll tell you, in 2019, I went on the Ultimate Cowboy Showdown, and, and that was the year I entered Batman in the Hanging Tree Futurity, which would be my very first trial ever. I'd never been, never been involved in no cow dog trial, and I had no clue what I was getting my foot into. Uh, I was just... I wanted to do it, you know, and anyhow, I entered him up in May. I got my leg broke. So, uh, the futurity was in October. So May I got my leg broke and I was in a wheelchair. I didn't know how I was going to get my dog trained for the futurity because you still had June, July, August, September. He said, you know, dang there five months of training left that needed to be done on this dog. And I went out there with him, and I was I started off on a scoot. My wife got me a scooter, and I'd go out there in the pasture with him with a little battery-powered scooter, and I couldn't go far. But I'd get out there, and, man, I'd send him, and he'd go probably to, my, to the end of my pasture was probably a good quarter mile, and it's across the creek where the cattle like to stay. And bats would go over there every morning. He'd go get me the cattle and bring them all the way back to me in the scooter. And we did our train. We we did our training sessions from a scooter. Me yelling at him. Just once I got to where I could be on crutches, I was on crutches. And I showed up at the maturity on a can, you know, on a walking stick. And uh, I I don't know God God. He had his hands on that dog since he was born. When he was born, he was born deaf and had no hearing at all. And we was going to put him down, you know. We didn't know what we'd do with a deaf dog. And a buddy of mine 
to me. We talked about it, and, you know, we just decided we'd give him a chance, and we just kind of let him roll with us. And uh, My little brother's got cerebral palsy, so I got a soft spot for special needs and believe everything's, everything's got a place. So I just went to hauling him with my other dogs, and, man, he, you could see the natural. He wanted to work. He worked his butt off but he just couldn't hear nothing. You could call him. I mean, he'd get run over, you know, lack of being able to hear. And one day we was headed to the pens with a set of cattle, and he just fell on the ground. And it was almost like he was having seizures or I, I don't know what happened. Just can't explain it. We got to the cow pens. He went over and laid down. I sorted the cattle. I come back out and crunk up the four-wheeler I was on. And he was probably a good hundred foot from me, and he lifted his head up. And I was like, ain't no way that puppy felt vibration off that four-wheeler. And I whistled, and when I did, his ears turned. Hmm. No way. And, I mean, Vance, nobody can explain what happened. I mean, I can. I believe in God and miracles. But we ended up showing up at Hanging Tree Futurity in 2019, reserve world champion, and uh, I know God had his hand on that dog from the time he was born, you know. That's amazing. So 2019, you trialed with him, your first ever trial. And uh, when was when was Batman born? In 2017, September, September 9th, I think. So in two years, you took a dog that, was deaf during his most formative time when you would, you know, be establishing commands and started beginning, you know, the beginnings of obedience and exposing him to stock and, and lost all that time essentially at the front end of his life. And then all of a sudden he can hear. And in that short period of time afterward, you got him ready to go to your very first trial while on a broken leg. Right. Yeah, no, it was like, we got over one speed bump. We got some hearing. So now I could now I could quit getting so mad at him. Could go to training on him, and then also I get my leg broke, and now I'm a. We have a whole new thing, and it was like, I I swear it was like he would look at me in the mornings because he my wife let let him sleep inside with me. He'd look at me in the mornings like just tell me, Dad, I got it. You know, I'll bring him up here. And yeah. I mean it, it. I don't know. He's just. And we've, we've accomplished so much since then. I mean, he's become a great producer. He's, uh, I'm still, we still show him. He's the first, one of the first ever hanging tree cow dogs to make the NCA and all the finals. Uh, my, I got a boy apprenticing underneath me named Taylor Brown, and he's showing him at the NCA finals this year, making, making cow dog history, you know? That's amazing. That's amazing. I think um, Batman could be forgiven uh, for thinking when he saw you with that broken leg, maybe I, maybe I should just put him down. <laughs> he's, he's barely functioning out here on a scooter. <laughs> I got serious work to do. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, hey, Jared, thank you so much for your time today. On our way out here, is there anything you'd like to promote? Um, where can people find you? Um, you know, how often do you have litters? If somebody's interested in a pup, how do they reach you? Well, you can find me on Facebook, Jared Lewis Lee or Lee HDC Ranching. 
the HDC stands for horses, dogs, and cattle. That was my dream to be able to raise a family, make a living raising my own horses, dogs, and cattle. Um, I'm also partners with Gary Sullivan and Red Stick Cow Dogs, and um, that's that's where our puppies go from. If you want to know where where I believe the best hanging tree cow dogs in the world come from, it's down here in the south, Denham Springs, Louisiana, over to Picayune, Mississippi, with Red Stick Cow Dogs and the HDC Ranch. All right, that's great. So there you go, folks. If you want to get learn more about the Hanging Tree Cow Dog, stay tuned to future episodes of this podcast. But also um, check out Jared and uh, on his Facebook page, and also his partner in, in producing some of the best Hanging Tree Cow Dogs in the country. Um, and hey, Jared, I have to say to you on the way out too, I, I'd be terrible if I missed this. But congratulations on your new baby. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Little Walker's the name. Walker Jared Lee. <laughs> and um, I was counting up uh, the, the kids in your family photos on your Facebook page. Is this your sixth? Number six. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. You're a busy man. So thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Jared, you told me off the recording about something exciting that you're starting to do um, in training other dogs and training other handlers, and you call it, well, tell me, what do you call it? Well, we call it the Ultimate Cow Dog Camp. <laughs> Very cool. So tell us more about the Ultimate Cow Dog Camp. Well, I've been going to clinics and putting on clinics and involved in clinics for several years now and I've always felt like you know a clinic lasts two to three days you, there's usually 10 to 15 people and each person gets one to three works per day on their dog and usually the first day you're, you're trying to get to know the dog handler and feel where they're at so you can know where you got to go with them and then by the time it's over you're just breaking you're just breaking the ice. You're just kind of getting to the spot where you can really do some things for the handler and the dog. And yet you always leave saying, man, if I just had two or three more days. Well, I've been thinking about it, and I talked to my wife about it. She supported me in all of it. And I told her I wanted to make a little cabin there at the house and have people and their dogs come and be able to keep them for a week at a time. And to be able to work on things anywhere from, you know, your trial tax dogs doing outruns, their flanks, um, inside flanks, driving, fetching, to teaching dogs how to hunt and find cattle in the woods. Um, and for your everyday ranchers and farmers, just, do, you know, helping them become a better farm and ranch team with their dogs. Sure. And it would be one-on-one -on -one with you. So they, is that correct? You're only going to take one client at a time for the ultimate cow dog camp? Yes, sir. It's one at a time unless you have a spouse that wants to do it with you and you are both dog handlers. Or if we, I got, I got two girlfriends that are, you know, live in different parts of the country, but they like to do the clinics together. So they wanted to book a week together and you know, there is the option of you having somebody with you, but 
I like to do it one-on-one with people and give them as much as them and their dog's brain can handle in a week's time. I mean, we're going to work five to eight times a day, and we're also going to be putting putting them on handling other dogs from puppies to finished dogs, you know, teaching them all the, all the tricks of the trade, helping them add a few tools to their bag. Wow, that's really exciting. I mean, there's not too many uh, opportunities that folks have to do anything like that and to just kind of tag along with you with your work. And um, it sounds like it's it's as much about training the handler as it is the dog. Is that fair? It is. It sure is. You know, um, because you know how these dogs are. You start off, you got to start by using physical pressure to help them move to where they want to where you want them to go you know manipulate them to go that direction and then you add verbal commands to it and then you got to phys- be physically somewhere and place right to have the right position to help the dog so eventually we want to be able to stand anywhere and the dog takes commands completely 100 percent verbally so it it does the, the handler is as big and needs as much learning as the dog does you know, I've only attended one clinic, and I, I did an episode about this not too long ago, and it was really interesting to watch. I just audited it. I didn't take a dog uh, of my own. It was just really interesting to watch, and, you know, one of the cool things about a clinic is they get a pro like you who gets to sit back and observe and point out things that the handler is or isn't doing that they probably didn't even realize was happening because they're so focused on the dog. Um and, you know, just being able to step back and watch, you, you can pick up things that that handler never could on his or her own. Now you take that same concept and you translate it to multiple settings on your farm or ranch with multiple different ty- types of stock, lots of different places, lots of different objectives instead of just running them around arena a few times a day. And you get that same, like... um that same observation from a pro, I just think that's got to be invaluable. Yes, sir. I believe we're really going to be able to take people, their dogs, a long way in a short period of time. And don't get me wrong, they're not going to have no problem going to sleep at night. We got a nice cabin put up with a comfortable bed, and we're going to work from daylight till dark. Um, we're going to provide three good meals a day. And really think that this is going to help a lot of people out there because there's a lot of folks that you know they come to us trainers they only get to see us for a short period of time before they got to go home and try to figure it all out on their own yeah absolutely and is this open to any breed of dog jared yes sir yes sir it's open to any breed of dogs it's open to people who just want to Stock test their dog, you know, say they want to get away and they got them an Australian Shepherd or Collie or Kelpie or Catahoula, Chihuahua. I don't care if they want to come down and learn about stockmanship and try their dog on some stock. I'm all for it, you know. And would you suggest that somebody who wanted to attend um, your cow dog camp be at a certain level as a trainer or an handler or be their dog be at a certain level or will you adjust? the training and the environment to suit wherever that handler and dog are? Well, we're going to, we're going to make it fit the person and their dogs. You know, um, I can't teach somebody, somebody who's on a, 
low level. I can't jam top level things on them. And somebody that's at the top of their game, they're not going to want to come down and nitpick at the beginning of training, you know. Um, so, I mean, it, it's really going to depend on where where each individual is on what will get accomplished and what what, what goals will set when it's there. But it is open for all handlers from novice to pros, you know. That's awesome. Excite well, now I want to do that, Jared. I'm gonna. I might have to budget that into uh, next year. I'd love to do that. So, have you? Um, is this brand new? And you're about to launch it, or have you done it a few times already? This is brand new. We've been working on getting our cabin put together for four years, and we've finally at the finishing point. We have announced just a few days ago on Facebook that we were going to do this. I've had over 20-something inquiries. We've already booked over four weeks. Um, we, our very first week starts the last week of October, and we're going to run this all the way until the end of April. And then during the hot part of the year, we're not going to be doing it. It just gets too hot and muggy down here, and I don't feel like I can give people their money's worth, you know, whenever you're only getting put in about half of the day. Right. Well, that's exciting. So, farm dog audience, you know where to go to get, you know, an extremely intensive experience for both you and your dog and to see a, a, a great trainer with some great dogs um, and, and for to be your role model for the week. So, Jared, thanks so much for bringing that to our attention. I'm sure you'll get even more inquiries. So, Jared, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Farm Dog. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes please subscribe leave us a positive review and tell someone about it thanks